the book of Acts once again. Those of you visiting today, I'll let you know that we've been in the book of Acts for some time now, trying to make our way through the whole book. We've come to chapter 24. The title of our message here today is The Danger of Delay. Now, there's a reason why most have never heard of the inventor, Elisha Gray. And here's why. In 1875, Elisha Gray transmitted a few musical notes over a telegraph wire. And he thought to himself, if I can send music, perhaps I could send the human voice. And so, newspapers began reporting predictions of what they called a talking telegraph. The public began to grow eager for it. Just one year after that, Elisha Gray believed he had finally invented a communication device that he said would literally revolutionize the whole world. But inexplicably, he did not put his idea on paper for two more months. And finally, after making a sketch of his device, he waited four more days to take it to the patent office in Washington, D.C., So on March the 7th, 1876, when Elisha Gray arrived at the patent office to submit his blueprint for the telephone, he was told that just two hours earlier, a school teacher had come through that same door with his own sketch and already submitted and applied for the patent. It was patent number 174,465 for the telephone and it went to a man named Alexander Graham Bell. And the strange thing is, when you compared the sketches, the voice chambers, and the wire, they were almost exactly the same in design. The reason we know today that name Alexander Graham Bell and few know the name Elisha Gray is simply because one man seized the opportunity of the moment while the other dragged his feet. And such is the danger of delay. Procrastination, it has been said, is the bad habit of putting off until the day after tomorrow what should have been done the day before yesterday. Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, once did a study of the most dangerous word in the Bible. And surprisingly, he said that word wasn't sin or Satan or even death. In fact, he identified the most dangerous word in the Bible as tomorrow. And here's what he wrote about it. Quote, Tomorrow is the thief of time. It robs dreamers of their dreams and the talented of their greatest achievements. It keeps men and women from coming to Christ and discovering the kind of life that God longs for them to have. Alas, he said, tomorrow never comes. It is in no calendar except the almanac of fools. Now in Acts chapter 24, we encounter a man, much like Elisha Gray, who allowed a golden opportunity to pass him by. His name was Antonius Felix. He was a Roman governor who had the world's most eloquent and learned preacher in his court. That is, of course, the Apostle Paul. And the failure of Felix was procrastination. He put off making the most important decision that anyone could ever make, and that is what to do with Jesus Christ. Now, before we dive in, let me set the stage for you. Paul has now begun his career as a prisoner 
headed toward Rome. He has recently been transferred from a jail in Jerusalem to house arrest in the city of Caesarea. And because Paul is a Roman citizen, he is afforded the right to a fair trial. And so now he stands before Governor Felix, who will hear Paul's case. Paul will act as his own lawyer, presenting his own defense. And in this message, we're going to see what Paul preached to Felix and how Felix responded to that. And I want to point out how Felix committed one of the most self-deceiving sins. And that is what I call the danger of delay. Now, if you're taking notes today, I want you to see number one, the preaching that convicted. The preaching that convicted. And we'll start reading in verse 24 of Acts 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present, and when I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Now, we all know that Paul would have made a fine Baptist preacher because as he stood before Felix that day, he delivered a three-point sermon. It's spelled out there in verse 25. Dr. Luke was diligent to jot down Paul's major preaching outline. And even though we don't have Paul's full sermon, it's easy to reconstruct what he could have preached based on these points and what Paul wrote and said in other places. And so we see his three-point message that brought conviction. The first point of his message was a flawless standard revealed. A flawless standard revealed. And we see that in that one word, righteousness. Paul preached to Felix, righteousness. Now, his first point was to explain how the holiness of God was the standard for salvation. And that standard is perfection. So, can you imagine Paul's introduction? Uh, Felix, you may think you're good enough for God, but our prophet Isaiah has said, all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Uh, Felix, I wouldn't trust the best 15 minutes of your life because before a holy God, hey, even our best stuff stinks. Heard about two brothers who had quite a reputation for living a sinful lifestyle. They caroused in the pool halls. They rode around with the Hells Angels motorcycle gang. One of these brothers ran a red light and was tragically killed in a terrible wreck. So the surviving brother arranged the funeral. But since they had no pastor, the funeral director had to call in a guest preacher. And this brother talked to that preacher and he said, Listen, I've only got one request. When you preach my brother's funeral, at some point in your eulogy, please say, this man was a saint. Well, the preacher objected. He said, sir, I can't do that. Everybody knows how your brother lived. He was a hellion. And so, the brother looked back at the preacher and he said, listen here, buddy. He said, you better do this funeral the way that I tell you to, or me and my gang will make you pay. So the day of the funeral came around. The preacher started his message. He stood there beside the grave. He said, folks, everybody here knows how old Butch lived for the devil. Why, he was a drunkard. He was a thief. 
He was a hell raiser. He wanted nothing to do with God, but compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> he was a saint. And the point is this, hey, it's easy to compare ourselves to other folk and say, well, I've never killed anybody. I've never cheated on my wife. I'm not a crook. I've never stolen from the bank. So that must mean since I go to church, I'm a pretty good a person. But friend, the righteous standard isn't your fellow man, but it's a thrice holy God who when you stand in front of Him, He says, all, A-L-L, all have fallen short of the glory of God. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, a man doesn't call a line crooked unless he has some idea of what a straight line is all about. And so measured against the flawless perfection of a perfect God, we're all fallen, crooked creatures. Some folks say, well, won't God look at the good things that I've done? Won't God look at my church attendance and my giving and my Bible reading and my spirituality? Won't that count for something, preacher? Hey, listen to me. No clever arrangement of rotten eggs will ever make a good omelet. And you can try and cover it up with a lot of different things. Religion and philanthropy and good works. But friend, don't play games with God. He can see right through. He knows the rottenness is there to the core. I'm sure that as Paul preached, he talked about that flawless standard. And he was probably quick to make a beeline to the cross. Praise God. He could have said this. The same thing that he wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made Him to be sin. Watch this. Who knew no sin so that in Him we might have, what is it, church? The righteousness of God. Friend, I stand before you today. I'm not perfect, but praise God, I am forgiven. The day came when I shook off the old grave clothes and I came to Jesus Christ and He said, here, take my robe. It'll fit you perfectly. So that when holy God looks at sinful Derek McCarson, He don't see the past. He don't see the shame. He don't see the guilt, but He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Friend, if you know Him today, you can say the same thing. When He looks at me, He sees the Son. Flawless standard revealed. Then He kept preaching. And His second point, He moved on to number two. A frequent sin revealed. A flawless standard and a frequent sin. Now notice this. It's contained in that one word... Self-control. Verse 25, read it again. He reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. Now Paul's second point definitely hit close to home because Felix was a man of reckless evil. Felix was actually the first slave in the history of the Roman Empire to become a political leader. History records that Felix ruled with an iron fist. He was as brutal as the Sicilian Mafia. In fact, one Roman historian, a man named Tacitus, described Felix this way. He said he was a master of cruelty and lust who exercised the powers of a king with the spirit of a common slave. Now, we read in that passage also about Drusilla, his wife, which is she's mentioned in verse 24. 
It's interesting to note that she was the daughter of Herod Agrippa I. That's the Herod Agrippa of Acts chapter 12, who had James beheaded and Peter in prison. And if you know a little bit about the backstory, it's more interesting than daytime soaps, but Felix contrived through an underhanded plot to have Drusilla taken from her husband, and by theft he made her his wife. Now if you keep reading a little more in verse 26, what we find out is that Felix was so unscrupulous that the Bible says the one reason that he listened to Paul was that he hoped that Paul would grease his palm with a bride in exchange for his release. And Paul's logic is very clear in this passage. First he points to the flawless standard. And then he points to the sin that was in Felix's life and said, look at the standard and look at how you're living, man. You're not meeting that standard. You are out of control, Felix. In fact, Paul could have preached 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Hey, listen to me, church. There are many preachers today who think that sin is some kind of cuss word. You say, what do you mean? I know that because you could listen to a year's worth of their sermons and never hear one doctrine, one teaching, one message on human depravity. But preaching on sin, listen to me, preaching on sin won't win you many popularity contests, but without it, it won't win you many converts either. My friend, listen to me. It's the darkness of sin that makes the cross shine bright. It's the bad news of sin that makes the good news truly a good news. Uh, See, before we can be saved, we've got to realize how lost we are. Before we can be cured, we've got to go to Dr. Jesus and be diagnosed. Uh, Before we can have hope, we've got to hit the bottom of despair and realize that without a Savior, there's no answer. Thank God for the faithful preacher who stood one day before me and he didn't sugarcoat the Bible, but he held up God's perfect and holy Word and he said, this is the standard, how you measure up. And the Holy Spirit convicted me, praise God for hot tears of Holy Ghost conviction, because in that moment when I saw my sin, I realized how beautiful the cross truly was. You see, a flawless standard revealed and a frequent sin revealed. Then Paul kept preaching. He got to his third point as he stood there in the court of Felix and he talked about a future sentence revealed. Righteousness, self-control, and then look at that third word, judgment. Paul's punchline was to tell Felix, Hey, man, if you don't trust in Christ as your Savior, uh, there's going to be a payday someday. Now, as you read that, the Bible says that Felix was greatly distressed. Who was on trial here that day? It wasn't Paul before Felix. It was Felix before Almighty God. This was a turn or burn message. Perhaps Paul may have reminded Felix of all the mighty men down through the years that God had humbled. He could have talked about old Pharaoh in Egypt 
and how God swallowed him up in that Red Sea and took away his army and his power. He could have talked about Herod Agrippa in Acts chapter 12 whose body was eaten from the inside out by worms. He could have pointed to Belshazzar in Daniel chapter 5 who stood there with one knee smoting against the other as he saw the handwriting of God on the wall. Maybe Paul said something like this to frighten Felix. The same thing that he told those Athenian philosophers on top of Mars Hill in Acts 17 verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Verse 31, because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed and He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. I was reading this week about Alcatraz Prison. They've made a lot of movies A lot of documentaries about Alcatraz prison. A lot of men tried to escape that dreaded place. There was one man who tried in 1945. His name was John Giles. There he is. Giles worked in the prison laundry. And over time, as he laundered those clothes, he was able to steal an entire army sergeant's uniform. Giles had a plan. So one day when he had the whole uniform, he donned the disguise and boarded a cargo boat that was leaving the island. But instead of that boat heading for San Francisco, listen to this, the vessel headed for nearby Angel Island, which at that time was home to a small military base. When Giles arrived, he was greeted by military police and shipped right back to Alcatraz Island. Friend, listen to me. Try as we might, we will not escape the judgment of God. If we don't know Christ, if He is not our Savior, you have a choice. He'll either be your Savior or He will be your judge. It's appointed once for a man to die and after the judgment. But friend, uh, you can have your case settled out of court uh, because the fine was paid for in full to telestai by Jesus Christ. So he talked about to Felix in this preaching that convicted a flawless standard and a frequent sin and a future sentence. So what did Felix do with this masterful sermon? Well, we see number two, the postponement that condemned. The postponement that condemned. For the first time in his life, Felix understood the gospel. But the Bible says that he was shaking like a leaf in a storm under that kind of conviction. Imagine, here he is, the mighty Felix, the governor of Judea. He's breaking out in anxious beads of sweat. His soul has turned into a wet noodle under the pressure of the Holy Spirit. Rather than repenting, Felix delays. In fact, Felix commits the same mistake that so many today Still do. The first mistake that he made is what I would call the myth of convenience. The myth of convenience. Look what verse 25 says. He reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. Watch this. Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. Here it is. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Your Bible may say it like this. I will summon you when a more convenient time arises. 
Felix was uncomfortable. He was looking for an escape hatch. He told Paul, he said, go away, and when it's more convenient, I'll hear you again. You see, Felix was being boxed in by the hand of heaven. What he said basically there is, I'm not ready to give my life to Jesus. That's the same thing that so many today say when you present the gospel to them. The devil sits in right beside them and starts lying to them, starts whispering to them, and he starts talking them out of a decision. You don't want to do this. You'll be locked into the straitjacket of Christianity for the rest of your life. You've got a long way to live, man. You're going to miss out on this and this. And Don't give your life to Jesus. Don't take this thing seriously. It's just a bunch of myths. And Sooner or later, we can begin to believe those lies. And so when people say something like, I'm just not ready to give my life to Jesus, usually what that person is saying is this. Maybe I'd give my life to Jesus if it didn't mean I had to give up this life of sin. Is there any way, preacher, I can get my hell insurance without the life change? And Felix, like so many today, he planned out a course for his life. A life of power, a life of prominence, a life of pleasure. And he resisted that because he measured the cost of following Christ and he said it wasn't worth the cost to give the reins of control over to Jesus. So the question that every person who continually puts off God, the question they have to ask themselves is this, hey, what constitutes a more convenient time to make a decision for Christ? Is it when you're old and wrinkly and sucking inshore through a straw in a nursing home given that you may not even live that long? Is it after you've drank from every well in the world and found out that it just fills your mouth with nothing but ashes? Is it when you hit rock bottom and you've got nowhere else to turn? Then maybe you'll say, then maybe I'll give my life to God. Friend, that's a Russian roulette with your soul. Billy Graham told a story in his book, Just As I Am. One night in 1962, he was staying in a hotel in Seattle. And he said in that book that he woke up in the middle of the night with a powerful burden. He said it was as if the Lord got him out of bed to pray for the soul of the famous actress Marilyn Monroe. And Billy said he was overcome with a sense of urgency from the Holy Spirit. And he began to pray. The next day he said the burden for this woman was so strong he continued to pray. Dr. Graham actually had one of his assistants try and contact Miss Monroe over the telephone, but her agent made it very difficult. She always made an excuse, well, she's too busy, Dr. Graham, to take your call right now. Then, here's what the agent said back to Billy the last time. She will meet with Dr. Graham sometime, just not now. Call back in two weeks and see if there is an opening. Two weeks was too late. Because two weeks after Billy said that he felt that burden, the news broke that she had committed suicide. It's easy to look at sinners and say, well, that's what they do. But you know what? I've been in the church long enough to know that church folk do the same thing. We play the same game with God. Uh, Someday I'll start reading my Bible. Uh, Someday I'll start tithing and giving when I've got more money. Someday, preacher, I'll get back to church. 
Someday, preacher, I start serving in the church when things settle down in my life. Someday I'll give up this bottle. Someday I'll give up this porn addiction. Uh, someday I'll tell my wife the truth. Listen to me, friend. Uh, someday I'll tell my neighbor about the gospel. But you and I know if we're honest before God, someday never comes. And don't let the convenience of tomorrow rob you of the blessing of God today. He gave in to the myth of convenience. Friend, don't give in to that today if you don't know Jesus Christ. There's no better time than the present time. Then he also gave in to this, the mystery of conviction. The mystery of conviction and the myth of convenience. Notice, the Bible says very clearly, Felix was alarmed. Verse 26, at the same time he hoped that money would be given to Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. Verse 27, and when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Did you see that? He called Paul back several times and conversed with him. And what we know is for about a period of two years... Paul and Felix went back and forth. But as far as we can tell, notice this, Felix never felt the sting of conviction like he did that first time that Paul preached. You see, friend, one variable that we cannot predict is the Spirit of God, how He might be moving or working in the future. In fact, Remember what Jesus said? Jesus likened the Holy Spirit to the movement of the wind. John chapter 3 and verse 8, He said this, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now notice this. What Jesus meant is that the Holy Spirit can't be programmed, can't be boxed in, can't be scheduled, can't be predicted. And when God reaches into a heart and He starts prodding and He starts poking, it's an urgent response for now. Respond now. The problem is so many feel that sting of conviction. They brush it off. They say maybe tomorrow. They white knuckle the pew. They make an excuse for why they can't serve God. And each time that happens, listen to me friend, here's what goes on in your heart. It gets a little bit harder and a little bit harder and that heart grows calcified and it goes calloused so that uh, many times as you do that down the road, pretty soon you won't be able to feel the convicted power of the Holy Spirit anymore because you've shut your heart off to God. God, put the tears back in our eyes again. God, break our hearts once again. Make us sensitive to the Holy Ghost once again, God. Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 12, look, listen to this. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, listen, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebe rebellion. Oh, the Holy Spirit, 
He prods and He pleads. He calls and He convicts. He woos and He warns. But listen friend, God will force Himself on no man. The door of the heart must be opened from the inside. And here's the fearful thing. The Bible says the Spirit of God will not always strive with man. If you feel that conviction and you brush it off, don't be guaranteed that you'll feel that same conviction the next day to turn to God. I have one gentleman in my mind right now. He visited this church a number of times. Over a period of several months, he came and he was here in the service. He expressed an interest in spiritual things. I had several small conversations with this man. But this man was not in good health. Eventually, he went to the hospital to have a surgery. And I thought, he can't get away now. I'm going up there to visit the old boy. Captive audience, right? Hard to run away when you're hooked up to tubes and ventilators and machines. And I went up there with my Bible. Buddy, I set up shop that day. I was determined in my mind that I was going to get a decision out of this guy. He'd floundered and he'd escaped many times before. I took my Bible up there. I presented the Romans road to him. Made it as simple as it could possibly be. Even a child could have understood it. I said, friend, I said, what is it today that is keeping you from making a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ? In a hospital room, hooked up to machines, facing death. He said, I don't know. I'm just not ready. I pleaded with this boy almost to the point of tears. I said, friend, I said, you are not promised another day in life. I said, if you won't reach out to God in this moment, I don't know if you ever will have a time to do it. He said, not now, preacher. Later that week, he was discharged from the hospital. And friend, I want you to know today, it still troubles me. I never saw him again. You know what happened? A couple of days after that, in his home, he had a heart attack and died right there. And as far as I know, that old boy, he never accepted Jesus. And to this day, when I think about that hospital room and that awkward situation of begging for that man, it still puts tears in my eyes today. Oh God, help us to understand the moment. He spent more time thinking about what he was going to eat for dinner than he did about where he was going to spend eternity. And it was too late. That was his moment and it was gone. Oh friend, let me tell you today, the most difficult part of a preacher's job is to stand at a funeral and do a funeral and there's a big question mark hanging over the whole day because you don't know if they were saved or not. Yeah, they went to church and yeah, they were a good person. But there was no evidence of the Spirit in their life. Friend, if you love me, don't do that to me as your preacher. Don't make me have to waffle and wonder on the day of your funeral are they really saved or not. Make your decision sure and your salvation final. What has God placed on your heart to do today? Maybe you need to get saved. Maybe you need to rededicate. Maybe you need to take seriously the house of God like you never have before. 
Delayed obedience is still disobedience. And listen to this. I know this ain't comfortable, but receive this truth, please. Tomorrow you'll have less time to repent, more sin to repent of, and a harder heart to repent with. Luke tells us, after those two years was up in verse 27, there was a political change in the Roman government. Felix was replaced by a man named Portius Festus. And the Bible says that Felix left Paul in prison, which tells me everything that I need to know. He was never converted. How terrible it would be to end this day with no hope. Friend, I want you to know today, there's always hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. You may have put Him off. You may have squandered that moment. But you have today. You have the hope of this moment. That story of Felix may not leave us with much hope, but this one will. And I'm done. In one of his books, Rob Morgan tells a fascinating story about a man named Luke Short. True story, listen to this. Short crossed paths with one of England's greatest preachers of the 17th century, a man named John Flavel. Sitting in church as a 15-year-old, Luke Short heard John Flavel preach a message from 1 Corinthians 16.22. If any man does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. The invitation was given. Nobody moved. Luke Short squandered his day. That's not the end of the story. Luke Short, he heard the preacher's message. He was convicted, but he stayed in his pew. He grew up. He immigrated to the United States. He spent the rest of his life as a farmer in Virginia. He turned 100 years old. And according to his testimony, he still had strength to walk across his farm. His mind was still sharp as a tack. One day, as a hundred-year-old man, he was resting under a shade tree, and he reflected back on that day as a 15-year-old boy, he heard John Flavel's message, If any man doesn't love Christ, let him be accursed. He said that he felt the convicting power of the Holy Spirit grip him in that moment. He was arrested. He had nowhere to go. He bent down, hugged that gnarled tree, and begged as a hundred-year-old man for God to save him. Though John Flavel had been dead many years, he could still hear the preacher's message in his ears. A message that was given 85 years ago. How merciful is God? How patient is God? How good is God? Short lived to be, listen to this, 116 years old. Here's what he had carved on his headstone. Here lies the body of Luke Short, aged according to nature, 116 years. Aged according to grace, 16 years. He said, my only regret in life is that I should have given my heart to Jesus a whole lot sooner. Do you know Him today? Please don't turn Him away. Oh Jesus, without Him, how lost would I be?